Hello everyone, this is Stephen G. Fullwood, and here is this week's note. So there's an NPR story that proposes that since May of 2021, people who live in counties that voted heavily for Donald Trump are nearly three times likely to die from COVID-19 as those who live in areas that voted for Joe Biden. The article says, quote, NPR looked at the deaths per 100,000 people in roughly 3,000 counties across the U.S. from May 2021. This is the point at which vaccinations became widely available. People living in countries that went 60% or higher for Trump in November 2020 had 2.78 times the death rates of those that went for Biden. Counties with an even higher share of the vote for Trump saw even higher COVID-19 mortality rates, unquote. Basically, at the end of the article, they explain their methodology, that the 2020 election result data are from the MIT Election Data and Science Lab, that the averages are weighed by county population, that the overall average represents the average 2,944 counties which were included in the analysis. It's a very interesting piece that by the fifth paragraph says that the exact political views of each person taken by the disease uh, remains unknowable. Interesting. And while they mention some of the issues that people of African descent and other people of color have had in the past with vaccination rates, or their unwillingness to be vaccinated, they explained it away basically through an issue regarding a fear of being sick. There, of course, is an anecdotal story that includes the story of two brothers, Mark Valentine and his brother, Phil. Phil Valentine is a well-known conservative talk show host in Nashville, Tennessee, who was unvaccinated and got sick recently, and on air has expressed his skepticism about vaccination. Of course, there's some talking heads who talk about the polls that an unvaccinated person, for example, is three times as likely to lean Republican as they are to lean Democrat. This is what Liz Hamill says. She's the vice president of public opinion and survey research at the Kaiser Family Foundation, a nonpartisan health policy tank that tracks attitudes towards vaccination. I am very interested in what Seth and Travis have to say about this article, as well as its implications. Here's my take. I read through the article, pro-Trump counties now have higher COVID-19 death rates misinformation is to blame, and in glossing the article, it was really the fifth paragraph that stuck to me the most. And to reiterate, it was the only, it was the analysis that only looked at geographic location of COVID-19 deaths, but the political views of each person taken by the disease remains unknowable. The association combined with the polling information about the vaccination strongly suggests that Republicans are being disproportionately affected. On the face of it, I don't have an issue with it. But let me be clear. I do care about people dying, absolutely, no matter where they are or who they are, particularly if it can be prevented. But what I do take issue with is this kind of reporting. I think I know how I'm supposed to feel about it. Outraged, angry, ready to blame some dumb Republicans. But that's not how I feel. In fact, I feel sympathy and I feel frustrated. Personally, I am for vaccination in large populations, but I do not rule out herd immunity as a factor in our society. I think I'm supposed to blame Republicans for the continued spread of the virus and misinformation. Well, no to blaming the Republicans or anyone who identifies as Republican or conservative, but yes to what I think are what is more poignant, the spread of information. That is, the spread of misinformation. Personally, I am for vaccination in large populations, but I do not rule out herd immunity and other ways of the society dealing with viruses. So am I supposed to blame Republicans for the continued spread of the virus and of misinformation? 
no to the first, but yes to the latter because I think it's more poignant. It's the spread of misinformation. I hold politicians, pundits, and podcasters accountable for spreading misinformation. But I have become increasingly frustrated about how information is presented in the media overall. Exhausted, really. I read the article a few times, and it failed to inspire the usual, if they just blah, 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 then everybody would be peachy feeling that I've clung to in the past. It's an easy space to occupy, really. No one expects you to question why a particular story is framed in this or that way, or consider why we need enemies. Had I more time, I would have worked on taking the elements of the story to see if I could rearrange them to offer a different way to look at the statistics, something a little bit more human, a little more sympathetic. And I'll say this, I can't turn away from something that Travis said months ago around the time of the presidential election. Most places are purple, some shade of purple. I agree with that wholeheartedly for so many reasons, but one, it goes to what Toni Morrison once said about race being the least reliable piece of information you have about someone. There are people in my family who are not vaccinated who consider themselves Democrats or maybe even conservative Democrats, but definitely identify as Christians. Earlier this year, I asked my niece recently if she had been uh, vaccinated, and she said she was waiting to see what would happen. And mind you, I love her to death, but I did wonder what she was waiting for, and I told her so. But I wish I had had the mind to share a more loving, supportive tone about why I think she should get vaccinated, that I love her, and that I think that she would be better protected from the virus. I want to give her and other people space to issue their misgivings and to hold them accountable for not staying on, I have a feeling it may be moving to find out more about this and to challenge themselves, which is what I'm trying to do to myself. While I made the decision to get vaccinated early, and I do plan to get the booster shot in a few days, my trust in vaccination process is due to my belief and trust in science. I have an underlying condition, high blood pressure, and I didn't want to put myself at any more risk than necessary. So I got the Pfizer vaccine in March and April. I have yet to be, I have yet to test positive for COVID. I'm fortunate, I'm lucky, and it was my choice. I think the issues of being for or against vaccination obviously is complex. People have both conservative and progressive ideas depending on where they live, how they are, at times race, at times gender, and that these ideas can shift, as mine have throughout this podcast. I know that I'm right most of the time, <laughs> but I can be swayed by different informed opinions on issues that I haven't thought much about. And I do know this. Most people want to be safe and healthy, and that this article didn't feel very thoughtful or sympathetic. I saw a guy the other day who had a t-shirt on that said 100% unvaccinated sperm, and it was on some social media platform, and I don't remember. The look on his face was interesting to me because he looked as if he had accomplished something, and I couldn't help feeling some kind of way about the whole thing, the way he presented himself. Part of it was, okay, you do your thing. Okay, do it, man. Another part of it was, well, what about measles and other kinds of vaccination? So we're not just simply talking about COVID. We're obviously talking about a major distrust of the government, the medical industry, and other institutions that in the past people had all the faith in the world in. Which is, I think, one of the points in the article which could have been developed a little bit more. I'll say this, all in all, I don't feel safe here. And not just because of COVID. Hi, this is Seth Rodney. I'm the opinions editor and senior critic at Hypoallergic and uh, 220. Winner of the Rapkin Arts Journalism Prize. We 
are talking this week on the American Age podcast about this article that uh, I actually suggested to Stephen Fullwood. Stephen chose a note this week, but he asked for suggestions, and I suggested this piece, which was published on NPR on December 5th, my birthday, actually. Piece is entitled... Pro-Trump counties now have far higher COVID death rates. Misinformation is to blame. It was written by Daniel Wood and Jeff Brumfield. Uh, the article basically says that looking at um, deaths per 100,000 people in roughly 3,000 counties across the U.S. from May of this year, that it found that people living in counties that went 60% or higher for Trump in November 2020 had 2.73 times the death rates of those that went for Biden. County, and according to them, counties with an even higher share of the vote for Trump saw higher COVID-19 mortality rates. Uh, the piece goes on to detail, or rather uh, visually represent some of this data and concludes that partisanship is now the single strongest identifying predictor of whether someone is vaccinated. And that's a quote. Uh, and then uh, there's another quote that's useful here. An unvaccinated person is three times as likely to lean Republican as they are to lean Democrat, says Liz Hamill, Vice President of Public Opinion and Survey Research at the Kaiser Family Foundation which is a nonpartisan health policy think tank that tracks attitudes towards vaccination, among the other things that they do. I have uh, mixed feelings about this. Initially, when I sent this as a suggestion to Stephen, I just read the piece. It just came across my radar, and I thought, this is worth talking about, because I think that it goes to the contention that I have that, well, there's, just a, there's a lot of context required for what I'm about to say. But I'll say it and then try to provide a context after, that I think the Republican Party, of the two major parties in the U.S. right now, is the one that's the most pernicious. I know that there are real problems on the left. I know that they are, there are ways in which people who identify as progressive or liberal act in really unprincipled ways and don't have their shit together enough to fill public offices with people who are sympathetic or proponents of their causes, our causes, I should say, because I count myself among progressives. But, you know, when I read this article, I just thought, this is typical, that, that, that Republicans would say things like, well, the, the piece semi-profiles two brothers, one, uh, Mark Valentine, the other, Phil Valentine. Phil Valentine was... And I'm saying was because he died due to COVID-19 infection. 
was a conservative talk show host who was very skeptical about the vaccine and essentially preached that gospel of you know, find out for yourself. Uh, there's very like there's very little likelihood of me getting sick. The likelihood of me, even if I get sick, the likelihood of me surviving is 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 huge. In fact, they quote Bill Valentine is saying it's ninety nine plus percent. And I'm aware, having listened to Stevens' note, that he says that he is just feels sorry that this is the case for these folks that they disbelieve their government so much and they disbelieve what they see as the other side in terms of big party politics and idea and, and mainstream ideologies that they essentially are making choices that harm themselves. Steven says that he feels really bad about this. I, 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 I'm trying to muster up that feeling and I can't. I just feel disgusted by the entire situation. I feel that saying that partisanship is the number one predictor is not exactly accurate because I think it has more to do with the degree to which one tr distrusts one's government. And I have to say that one of the ways that makes this that key metric correlate more often with the Republicans is that Ronald Reagan, huge standard bearer for the Republican Party, essentially taught people to hate their own government. I read that somewhere on Twitter, I think a year or so ago, and it really stuck with me, and I think that that's quite true. I wish that I had a smarter or more nuanced take on this, but what I feel is that, yes, the reporting on this really joyfully keys into this notion of us versus them. But to be honest, it, there has been a kind of consistent us versus them since, uh, since at least post-war uh, United States, uh, the post-war United States as a sort of world leader came into being. I think that when Mark Valentine, he's quoted as saying this in the piece, when he says the, that the arrival of the coronavirus just ahead of the presidential election of 2020 seemed like, quote, the most fortuitous pandemic in the history of the world, uh, unquote, for the D Democratic Party. Uh, that is a very clear signal of how he thinks that there, or suspects at least, that there are these large-scale machinations that are taking place behind the scenes that are essentially put in motion to take away his precious freedoms and to upend the social, the social organizational scheme, the, the social order, in order to place him under the thumb of liberals and progressives and people with, and, and essentially people with 
worldviews that are antithetical to his own. I don't know what the solution is. I would like... Actually, no. What I want to say is, I just don't hold out much hope. I don't, because we... And when I say we, I mean those of us in the sort of intelligentsia class who write pieces like this one that was published on NPR, who are in the game of promulgating public information, of arguing things out in public, of making opinions, and trying to shape or inflect larger public opinion. I think that all of us in this game are fighting a kind of losing battle because it feels like our baser, more stupid selves are winning and that the pandemic only makes that circumstance more starkly obvious. Uh, I think Travis will talk a lot about how the reporting is bad and, and skewed. I, I feel that there was that, but there was also this more pernicious thing happening, which is that there is one party in this country that is really keyed into preventing any sort of substantial a substantive change in the in the social order that's really keyed into limiting and uh, uh, subverting in some cases voters rights and keyed into creating a governmental scheme in which freedom is essentially unlimited and, and, and responsibility is not taken seriously. So part of me really doesn't, I don't feel any sort of sadness for uh, people who declare themselves vaccine skeptics dying. I don't, I, I, I don't. That well is empty in me. I feel like those people are just making this situation for the rest of us worse. Uh, I and I and I mean that actually for anyone, uh, whatever political stripe they they identify as, that I feel that that kind of just fantasizing about the state of the world being sort of constructed to be to essentially. Tr stymie your uh, agency and to seek to, in some ways, uh, shackle you or prevent your full kind of flourishing humanity. I just think that that's just, it's just stupid. I don't understand that idea that there are these cabals that uh, 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 are exist in order to take away someone's freedom, and yet that is the central sort of line of reasoning in, among vaccine skeptics that I'm aware of. And there are other very reasonable positions that people can take with regards to not 
being vaccinated. I know some people personally have told me that they have some sort of autoimmune disease and they just cannot deal with vaccines of any sort. And I think space needs to be made for that. And I think space needs to be made for people who've had the disease and have developed the antibodies and would run considerable medical risks by having to take the vaccine after already developing natural antibodies. But I also think that this um, misinformation thing, this misinformation pandemic is it's just bad news on top of bad news. I wish I had something better to say about this, but I don't. I would like very much for uh, there to be a country in the world where which was ruled by reasonable people and not people who indulged in fantasy, whether it's the fantasy of being invulnerable to this virus or the fantasy of someone somewhere, some phantom behind the scenes pulling the levers in order to take away your freedoms. Or the fantasy that um, that some way, somehow, we're going to just tech our ways out of this problem. I don't think we are. I think uh, no matter how sophisticated our technology gets, that there's always going to be a group of us human beings who imagine that they're going to be imagining dragons. And that's my take. This is uh, C. Travis Webb, editor of The American Age, and this is my note uh, for this week. Uh, I was very grateful that this topic was suggested by my co-hosts. I think uh, Seth actually originated the idea and, and communicated it to Stephen, who introduced the subject for us. Um, you know, what I'd like to do uh, in response uh, to the NPR article is... Uh, describe why I think the reporting is as sloppy and um, ideological and one-sided as it is. And then I'd like to maybe offer a brief um, description of why I think that is and, and what I think it's analogous to. So, um, you know, I, I sh it should be noted that, you know, my background is not as a reporter. Um, you know, I, I do uh, feel comfortable writing and researching, obviously, given my background. But, you know, I don't, I don't know what it's like inside of a, you know, reporter's room when you're sitting around the table and stories are coming up and editors are assigning things to you. So I don't know how this story ended up being written or who provided the impetus for it. But it certainly... It's certainly part and parcel of a lot of the tenor of what I've come to call legacy media around uh, COVID reporting, uh, you know, which kind of started with the Trump administration. So uh, let's talk about why um, I'll, I'll bring up two specific reasons why I think the statistical analysis in this uh, particular piece is uh, so um, lopsided. Uh, it's because there are a number of confounding factors that aren't being accounted for. A story very similar to this kind of made the rounds in the New York Times um, a few months ago. 
Um, and I think it was, uh, uh, David Lenhart, um, uh, read COVID or something like that, I think was the, the title of the piece. And it was basically same tenor as this. So, you know, Trump counties are dying at higher rates, et cetera, et cetera. So what I did is I went into, you can readily find this information available online. Um, I went in and I decided, well, let's just pick a, let's pick a, a, a state. So I picked Ohio and you know, the, the article's claim is that basically miss, and it doesn't, it's not ambiguous about it. It doesn't say, well, this could be a factor. This could be a factor. It says that the reason that Trump uh, counties are dying at higher rates is because of vaccine misinformation. Um, so what I did was I, I went into, I looked at a map of Ohio to see how it broke in, in 2020. And I picked the reddest, the darkest red county that I could find. And there were multiple of them, but I picked one at random um, and or city rather. And that city was Shelby, Ohio, which is in Richland County. The average lifespan of someone who lives in Shelby, Ohio is 76.6 years. Uh, in the surrounding Richland County, the average life expectancy is 75.84. So one of the things that's important when you do statistical analysis is that you compare apples to apples. Um, and so I thought, well, you know, I'm not going to leave the, the state of Ohio. I'm going to go to the next closest blue county that I can find. So the, this is the bluest county I could find near Shelby, or I'm sorry, uh, bluest city I could find near Shelby, which was Franklin, Ohio, which is in Warren County. Franklin, Ohio's average life expectancy is 78.3 years, nearly two years above the average of Shelby. Warren County's average lifespan, so the surrounding county that Franklin is in, is 79.2 years, nearly four years, not quite, nearly four years longer than the average lifespan in uh, Richland County, which is 159 miles away. So we are talking, I mean, these are neighbors. You could drive there, you know, take a Sunday afternoon. You could drive back and forth between these two things. Yet residents in one county live almost four years less. Now, did the NPR article at all talk about that? It, it did control for age, you know, which is better than what the New York Times article did. But it did not control at all. It, I mean, at least they didn't say that they did. It did not control for average life expectancy. The bluest counties and cities in this country have life expectancies into the 80s, while the poorest have life expectancies in the low 70s. And you don't, and, and, and we also know that rural counties break predominantly for Trump over Biden. Was any of this talked about in the article? No, it was just assumed that ideology could explain this discrepancy. Let's take one other one. And I do have to credit um, Jeremy Beckham for this one, because I, I went and, and, uh, digging for this story. I remember reading it a few months ago. And, you know, let's let's think about um, the state of Utah. For, so if this was true. If ideology is what's killing people and vaccine, vaccine skepticism, right? I mean, the, the boogeyman of Trump, you know, comes back, the revenant returns, right? He's, he's going to... He's he's going to actually murder our citizens with his disinformation and and their you know and and extend their ignorance so to keep them from the glorious vaccines. Sorry if I'm being a little snarky. Uh, that's actually a, I, I do apologize for that. Let's try and stay on on topic here. I just I, it irritates me a bit. So, um, the state of Utah, 
Utah is a very red state. So you Trump won Utah by more than 20 points in 2020. So not even close. This is an entire state that went for former President Trump. Well, it, so if, this, if it was ideology, right, if ideology was the issue here, wouldn't Utah be one of the worst states in the country for COVID outcomes? Now, there are red states that have very negative COVID outcomes, Alabama, Georgia, et cetera, or Alabama in particular, Mississippi as well. But let's take one that isn't low-hanging fruit. So let's take Utah. Utah. Well, Utah happens to have one of the youngest populations in the United States, and they're 45 out of 50. Now, I understand that this particular study controlled for age, but what my point is, is that you would need to, if this statistical analysis were valid, you would need to be able to make useful predictions about people's lifespans based on their voting. And that doesn't seem to emerge from this article at all. The level of bias that is inherent in this analysis, to me, I mean, you, you want to publish it as opinion or like a hot take or something like that, that's fine. But this is not published in that way. It's published as news, as an analysis initiated by NPR. Um, and it seems strikingly similar to me to the ways that the AIDS epidemic was discussed during that time. Now, I'm not the first person to observe this, but so what I wanted to do, I went uh, to to Gallup. So I went to into the Gallup vault to find just sort of descriptions of what were what was being done during the 1980s around AIDS. How was that handled? Uh, and this is from the Gallup vault. As the uh, as the spread of AIDS continued, Gallup found some Americans expressing judgmental views about those who had contracted the disease. In two separate polls in 1987, roughly half of Americans agreed that it was people's own fault if they got AIDS, and that most people with AIDS had only themselves to blame. Between 43 and 44 percent of Americans in 1987-1988 believed that AIDS might be God's punishment for immoral sexual behavior. Most people, most Americans, I, I, I should say that the, the Gallup also recognized that compassion was relatively high in America. I think that, you know, I mean, that speaks, that that's a good statistic, 78%. Most Americans, 60%, also agreed that people with AIDS should be made to carry a card noting, that, uh, noting they had the virus, and one in three agreed that employers should be allowed to fire employees who had AIDS. 21% of Americans said people with AIDS should be isolated from the rest of society. Now, most of the people who listen to this podcast would be appalled to find themselves on that side of the issue, reject it outright, out of hand, black mark on the country, black mark on American medical institutions, black mark on the media. But yet you can't extend the same compassion. You can't extend the same sympathy. You can't be empathic for people because they are choosing not to take a vaccine because they don't want to and don't trust the institutions that have misled them in other instances. And I'm not going to go into a laundry list of those, but some justified, some not justified, but who cares, right? The point is that these are just, these are your, your fellow countrymen. These are your, you leave the country part out of it. These are your fellow humans that are 
choosing for whatever reason that is entirely a black box to you. You don't know. I don't know why someone would choose to get vaccinated or not get vaccinated. Yet NPR and the New York Times and all of these legacy media outlets are rushing, like banging through the door like a Benny Hill comedy routine to write one more invective against the poor, stupid rubes who won't get injected with the vaccine and that they only have themselves to blame. It is so ugly. It's so ugly. These stories are ugly. Like sharing them, tweeting them, posting them on social media, like rallying around the comment sections, right? I, I, I know I don't mean to suggest that I am above being ugly. We all have that inside of us. I get that. But our institutions are meant to hold back those more destructive and corrosive impulses, yet they're egging them on. Uh, and so this is why I... I I really welcomed the opportunity when Seth and Stephen wanted to talk about this. You know, we've had some great, I've had some very productive conversations with my co-hosts around uh, around uh, COVID and the vaccines, and they've helped me temper my language, but it hasn't diminished my my fire for this topic. I I really feel like we are in a morally hazardous, we have ventured into morally hazardous terrain. Um, and it's not like we've never been here before. The AIDS epidemic was, it was absolutely abhorrent the way that that was handled. And these things may return and happen again, but it would be nice if, if we could lower the temperature in the room a little bit and maybe not have our collective cultural boots on the necks of these people who are making different health decisions than you and I are making, or that, you know, are I, that even health decisions you don't understand and you might strike you as, is particularly obtuse. That's their right to do that. And that's my two cents for, uh, on the vaccine, uh, story and NPR, uh, and the Trump County, you know, association. I should, let me just add this one. Note. I am, it seems entirely plausible to me that there is some, that there's some effect from this, right? I mean, we do, the thing that has seemed to hold up pretty well is that vaccines seem to, uh, continue to, uh, uh, reduce severe illness, which, you know, one would conclude leads to reduced hospitalization and, and death. And, and that data seems fairly solid and seems to be holding. So, you know, people in these counties with these comorbidities or like, you know, I, I want them to get vaccinated. I want these people to live as long as they can and see their families and, you know, and, and enjoy as much time under the sun as is allotted to them. And so it's not about you know, it's not about being anti-vaccine. It's about just expend, extending some basic compassion and some basic understanding and stop flattening every single discussion and putting it under the aegis of Trump's evils. Um, thanks very much for listening.